Ooh, you were just listening to Taco Cat. They are playing the Neurolux on June 13th, so make sure to mark your calendars for that. You are listening to The Big Tent here on Radio Boise. It's Public Affairs Thursday again. It feels like it was just Public Affairs Thursday last week. I don't know if you all are experiencing time like that. Yeah, I, I hear it happens every week. <sighs> And still, it takes me by surprise every Thursday morning. <laughs> uh, my name is Jen Schneider. I'm the host of The Big Tent, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Jackie Kettler and Luke Fowler. And we're here with our fourth co-host. Former. Soon to be former. Soon to be former <laughs> for his final show, Corey Cook, Dean of the School of Public Service. One of the people who started this show, along with Justin Vaughn. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for creating for the me. Big yeah. Tent. All of our listeners are right now <laughs> thanking you. Two people somewhere are clapping. <laughs> it's seven. Thank okay. you very much. Okay, yeah. uh, one's my mom and one's Jackie's mom. <laughs> okay. All right. My mom would listen but doesn't own a radio, so <laughs> or, or a device where she could play the show. Hi, Mom. Uh, so today we are basically, we're going to interview you, Corey. Mm -hmm. Yeah? Jackie, do you want to uh, have a little bit about that? Yeah, we thought this, this is kind of our special farewell show <laughs> uh, to Corey. For everyone listening, we've got a full hour today, so don't don't stop listening at 4.30. Keep, keep going with Perfect rush us. hour listening. <laughs> yeah, and we're going to we're going to kind of, you know, talk to Corey about his his. Uh, impressions on what's changed since he's been here and and goals and suggestions and advice for those coming after he sadly leaves us so um we were thinking just you know thinking as you transition out of being dean of the school of public service what are like three suggestions you might have for a future or the future dean of school public service oh wow man um, <laughs> not, to put, the not to put you I was on gonna the say, spot fortunately i haven't been asked that because um much of my advice will be particularly good but um you know i it's, it's you know i've been obviously at boise state for four years um the school of public service is now just uh as of i think july 1st officially four years old um and uh you know, I think we've done some really good stuff. I mean, I'm really proud of the work that we've we've been able to achieve. And um, to me, I think the the hopefully what we tried to do, and hopefully we were successful to do, was um, try to embrace a model of leadership that really is about getting out of the way of the talented people that exist in the college. Um, and so, I mean, uh, yeah, like I said, I, I'm really pleased with some of the things we've accomplished. Uh, literally, none of it was my idea, and so I can. I, it, it makes it easy to brag about it because I'm, like, I'm trying to dig through your humility with a giant. No, it's for real. Right it's now. for real. No, I mean, I think the, um, I think the the one, the one thing I think I've learned through my career. So you know, I I was a, a adjunct faculty in the at Cal State East Bay, which is as frankly backwater a university as you can be in um and i loved it i loved everything about it i taught five classes a quarter i taught oh um i taught year round i taught summer paid like a thousand dollars a class if or that something. Yeah, yeah i think they i think they paid me in skittles at the yeah. time um <laughs> which is, no i think why well, i'm diabetic but yeah um, <laughs> no. i think it was thank, thank you Hayward, then hayward state um but i loved everything about being there and and um you know i i worked as hard as you can work to be a, a, a teacher. I was writing my dissertation at the time. And, um, you know, and I would get hired after that. And, um, you know, I had a tenure track position at other institutions. And it was interesting talking to students about, you know, sort of impressions of what made a good university or a good class or a good professor. And um, what was interesting to me was that as I changed universities, when I would be at sort of places that were regarded as more prominent, 
suddenly I was a better professor when I was the same person I'd been the year before, the year before that. Oh, like the reputation was sticky. Right. Um, so, you know, so, so students would say, oh, we know this is gonna be a high quality class because we're, you know, we're paying a lot of money at a private institution. You're like, well, I, you know, I was teaching the same class with as much effort and doing the same type of work when I was uh, you know, adjunct faculty at, at Hayward State. Yeah. Um, and so one of the things that I learned through that um, experience was that, um, I mean, good ideas come from everywhere. Um, you know, they're not they're not the province of deans or provosts or um, or even tenured faculty. I mean, they're they're good ideas that um, you know junior staff people who are new to university or untenured faculty have. And um, and I think the you know the the goal I think that I, at least I, I what I tried to do as dean was to say get you know they're they're great ideas. Just get help people achieve them, get out of their way. Um, and so some of the things that we've been able to accomplish are I mean are things that. Um, ideas that came from everywhere inside the, the the schools, talking to people in the community who would say, "Here's something well, I'd love to see Boise State do." Um, and I think you know, for me, it, academic leadership is about being able to hear good ideas from other places. And I, I get way too much. I mean, true, I'm not being hum, hum, humble. I really none of this was my idea, um, and that's partly why I think I could be a good advocate for them is because none of these are like things that I came in saying, "Here's what I want to do." It's you talk to somebody, whether they're a faculty member or a staff person or somebody in the community, and they say, you know, I'd really like to see Boise State play this role in the community. And you're like, hey, let's figure out how, how to get that done. So if we were going to summarize your advice for the next team, it would be get out of the way. Get out, listen, <laughs> listen to people and don't worry about titles. Because, yeah. um, again, I, I, we have some phenomenal full professors in our college, but we also have... Um, you know, one class adjunct faculty, right, who don't have doctoral degrees, who have great ideas for how to push the, the college and the university forward. And so to me, it's just being able to, to recognize when there's a, something that you can do and then try to figure out how to help empower folks to pull those things off. Um, but there, you know, the, the, the upside and the downside of, I think, of, of, of starting our college has been there, there was no blueprint. Um, and, I, and I think that um, for some folks that was d- difficult to, to grapple with, um, that there wasn't a master plan of here's how you start up a new college and a, and a, and a school that has, a, I think, a very strong, clear mission. Um, you know, here are the steps you take. Um, it, it's, it's, it's disorienting to say, I don't know what we're going to do next year. We'll, we'll get this year done, and then we'll figure out how we grow from here. On the other hand, I think there's so much potential in taking that approach where you're intentionally trying things and figuring out what works and what doesn't. Like, like, the, like the radio show, which, again, I don't – this wouldn't have been on the list of things. I think we had a faculty member who said, what do you think about doing a public affairs show? And it seemed like it might be a good idea. And a week in, we're wondering if it made sense to continue it. And a month <laughs> in, we asked the same question. And six months in, we asked the same question. And, and then Jackie and Luke came along and were like, oh, it's going to be okay now. It's going to be great. <laughs> it's gonna I be don't great. know that I give us too much credit. but <laughs> No, it's going to be – and, and I think it's an example of like, hey, it's a really good idea. But what it, it's about getting – people who are passionate about it in positions where they can uh, you know, do, do really good things and then get the hell out of their way. That is one thing I really like about our school of public service is that we really do try lots of new and different things, things that maybe other university kind of divisions are not doing. And that allows us to you know, utilize our, our people in ways that allow us to do lots of really great, interesting things. And well, it, it also means we're going to make m- mistakes. Yeah. And, and, and we, I think we do a good job of learning from that. Yeah, I hope so. 
Well, also, it's it's really fun to be a professor here because I like I know people at all kind of universities and they all really complain about the same things, but none, <laughs> but they never really have the opportunities <laughs> to do anything about it. Yeah. Um, and so at least it's fun here that I go and talk to my colleagues. I'm like, hey, we're trying this. And they're like, man, that's amazing. I wish we could do that, or, but nobody will hear it. Right. And so it's fun to at least try to fix the things rather than just like be prisoners of, of our situations. Yeah. So, I mean, one thing I think would be really interesting, I would like to hear how you explain to people what public service is when they're like not in the academy, but I would like to hear Luke and Jackie's, how you would do it first, and then we'll, have, <laughs> then we'll see what Corey says. How we would explain public yeah, service. Yeah, so when somebody's like, what, what, what is it, the school of what? What do you, how do you explain that? I think about, you know, that we are trying to contribute to our communities and define largely university, local, state, internationally, um, that we're contributing, using our skills to help contribute and make our communities better. Well, and I believe I've said this to you before, Jen. Uh, I like to tell people not public service. I'd like to tell them a public administration because they're like, what does that mean? I'm like, don't worry about it. We're moving on. Right. Uh, particularly like. So you don't get to be in the commercial. Right? Oh, absolutely. Because I, I say that because I'm like, I do not really want to explain to you my job right now. And I don't want to talk about Trump. So I'm not going to use the phrase political science. Right. Uh, but I would say like public service and how I talk about it with students, right, is this general idea that we can make society better. And it's the processes that we achieve that by, the way that we organize, all the things that we can do. Um, so public service doesn't just exist inside of org uh, inside of government, inside of universities. It's really all of us working together in some fashion. So we're talking about the School of Public Service. Like, we study all of that. And we try to figure out how to achieve these desirable social outcomes, right? Generally make the world a better place, which is about as optimistic as I'm going to get. <laughs> That's good. All right, Corey, what do you got? So what's public? So I like their definition. Like from the community. I, I, I just define public service as, as problem solving. Um, to me, that's sort of at the core. I mean, I, you know, I, I came to, to Boise State from the University of San Francisco, which is a Jesuit Catholic school, in the, obviously, in San Francisco. And, and I'd been the director of a center that was named for the former lieutenant governor of California that was a center for public service and the common good. And the, and the thing that was interesting about it was the public service came from his framework of public service mostly as government in governmental service and the Jesuit conception of the common good. And uh, it was sort of this great political compromise of public service from led by a public servant and the Jesuit notion of the common good. And we'll sort of throw it together and see what happens, mm -hmm. right? And I think the, the work we did at USF was largely around, I think, as the, as, again, as a kind of a startup phenomenon. But as we honed in on what that meant, it was, again, you know, service for something, right? That it's not just service for its own sake, but there's a purpose. Um, that, you know, the Jesuit ideals around around justice and social justice, obviously. So there's a, 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 a theological component that exists there that doesn't in, in, a, in a place like Boise State. Um, but the but the notion of, of public service as problem solving, I think, is um, really what drew me to, to, to this institution. My understanding is that when it was this, the school was initially proposed, it was a it was a school of government, and I frankly would never have applied for a dean position at a school of government. It's not that I don't love government or care about government or value government or willing to pay my taxes because my kids are in public schools. I mean, it's just that I, I don't I don't know that government is where problems get solved anymore. Um, and you particularly look at what's happening at states around the country and at the federal level, and you know, 
people aren't drawn to government service. They are drawn to problem solving, right? And and the public sector is a key component of that, but it's not the only component of that. And so the, the notion around preparing students to be engaged in problem solving in their communities, and I, I agree completely with how Jackie framed that. It's the global community to, to your neighborhood. Um, but that involves being able to navigate three sectors, right? It involves being able to, to, to have a, um, a, a social change notion, right? Of how somehow of, of, of making a of making a difference and making an impact, um, and so you know, I think to me the 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 the. The key piece for us is how do we pre- prepare students to be to be problem solvers in an environment that, frankly, that's really difficult to do. The, the, the problems are complex. Our society is increasingly divided along, along partisan political lines. So problem solving is not is not natural, right? It's not easy. It's something that actually requires education and training and skill development. Like higher ed should be great at this, right? Preparing students for problem solving. And then relatedly, how do we use the assets of our college, our faculty and staff, as components of problem solving in our community? And so the other piece of what we try to do in the school is I think, you know, and then you three are great examples of this, right? Use our intellectual capacity, use our, our knowledge, use our resources to serve the communities that we, that we care about. Um, so it's not just producing knowledge for its own sake is producing knowledge that will make, you know, governments more efficient or make programs work better or make make the citizens more engaged and understand uh, public issues better. I mean, I think problem solving for the public good's a pretty way to put it. That's not bad. Yeah. yeah I like it. Um, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit. Boise State's headed for some big changes. Um, we're going to talk about that and what we might expect and uh, what we hope to build moving forward. You are listening to The Big Tent on Radio Boise 89.9 FM, Caldwell, Boise. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Bree, psychic death witch. <laughs> this is Emily, regular witch. <laughs> this is Taco Cat. And we're Taco Cat. <laughs> You're listening to Radio Boise 89.9 and 93.5 FM Community Radio for Boise and beyond. Hey there, welcome back to the Big Tent. Uh, you are here with me, Jen Schneider, and my co host, Luke Fowler, Jackie Kettler, and for this one last show, Corey <laughs> Cook. Corey, uh, we maybe probably should explain where you're going. It's not like you got fired from Boise State. <laughs> well, not what? technically. You're leaving. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's next for you? Uh, so I'm heading to uh, back to California. I'm going to be the associate provost. At See, St. Californians do leave Idaho occasionally. <laughs> I know. I was asked repeatedly to go back home by <laughs> very generous Idahoans I met throughout the state. Um, no. Um, yeah, so I, you know, we have our families back in the Bay Area, and so we're heading to, to St. Mary's College, which is in Moraga, just outside Oakland, and and so a new a new adventure, new challenge, closer to family. Which, um, you know, we'd always sort of hoped that our family would follow here, and and they would come and visit and talk about how much they loved it, and then say, we're heading home now. So after a certain point, the kids and their cousins and in-laws, all that, it it gets you know sort of important to be home at this time, this stage in life. So, yeah. So before the break, I mentioned that Boise State's headed for some big changes. Of course, the one the top of my mind is that we have a new president mm-hmm. coming, coming, Marlene Trump, um, who was at UC Santa Cruz and then ASU before that, I believe. Yep. Um, and uh, 
people who met her, I didn't get a chance to meet her when she was here, but people who met her are really excited about her. But I think all of us realize that there's probably some big changes coming. So um, if you had a chance to sit down with her and have coffee and say, hey, here are some things you should think about or things that you, places you could take Boise State, what would you, what would you say to her, Corey? Well, so I had a chance to, to, to chat with her a little oh, bit. Oh, so you did tell process. her. You told her these things. So just no, tell her I didn't. What, she tell us she, what you she told knows her. so much more than I do. <laughs> so I um, I was fortunate. I had a chance with the other deans to ask uh, interview questions, and and just was incredibly impressed with her knowledge and and skill set. And so frankly, I wouldn't be presumptuous to give her advice. I think she's I think she's got this. So um, I'm really looking. You're making forward. this challenging. Yeah. <laughs> What's that? This is like a short like you're you're not giving us like. Well, you know, let me, so let me so so what what. I, so, um, so the, there, there are a number of th- questions that we asked that I really appreciate her answer to, and I think I think the biggest challenge, I th- like I said, I think she's got it under control. So I wouldn't presume to give her advice, but you know, Boise State has improved its research uh, productivity every year for the last several decades, and we are clearly well on the path to being an R one institution. So and for our for people listening, R one is. Well, it's a Carnegie-designated class. It, it involves how much you spend in research and the production of PhDs, and it's sort of regarded as you know research-heavy institutions. And for the most part, you know the major universities that you think about are research one institutions, as designated by Carnegie. And what it means is they're they're research-driven institutions. Um, and Boise State is now considered an R two, which you know that's happened in the last, mm-hmm. frankly, since I was here. We went in the four years. We went from. Um, uh, a master's in granting institution to R3 to R2, which is a very steep trajectory. And I think most people regard R1 as a likely outcome in the next five years, 10 years, 20 years, we don't know. Um, the question is, and I, I attended uh, my, my undergraduate degrees from Berkeley, my PhDs from Wisconsin, both are R1 institutions. I think the challenge is how do you become an R1 institution without adopting the bad behavior of most R1 institutions, which is enormous class sizes, classes taught mostly by graduate students and not by faculty. Um, And how do you retain, I think, the unique role that Boise State plays in the Treasure Valley and in Idaho as a, I mean, our our legacy is as a teaching institution. Um, We have a lot of work still to do in preparing the next generation of students in Idaho. Um, This state desperately needs Boise State to be a highly effective teaching institution as it ascends to the R1. So the question is, is how do we avoid the pitfalls that have, frankly, befallen so many of our sister institutions and become an R1, which is, I think, important, and there's a lot of value in that, without, you know, I had an econ class that had 1,200 students in it. My econ 101 had 1,200 oh. students in it. My poli sci 101 um, had had uh, 800 students in it. Um, I knew very few of my professors my entire time at Cal. I had a bioprovision class. When I taught at Rutgers University. Art Rutgers is also an R1. Um, I taught a class on the presidency where the kid in the front row, who wasn't really a kid, I think he was in the mid-20s, he was, had been a professional golfer that on September 11th was on the golf course playing on the Nike Tour and decided he was in the wrong place and wanted to go back to school and finish his degree. So he'd done a couple of years of college, had become a professional golfer, and literally walked off the golf course and said, I want to go... I, I'm wasting my life being a golfer. I want to go do something else and, and showed up at Rutgers. So he was in my class. His name was Paul. Um, and 
I've stayed in touch with Paul in the last 15 years. Everyone else in the class to me was not Paul. I didn't know a single other name <laughs> or another purpose, person because I had 150 students. 149 of them were not named Paul. And the guy in the front row was a professional golfer named Paul, right? That's not teaching. Um, I, I could put on a fairly convincing show of teaching three days a week in class that was engaging enough to the 149 other students, but it wasn't really teaching. Well, and I bet a lot of people listening, a lot of people we meet on the street have gone to Boise State, and that would not be the Boise State they recognize. No. Right? Like that, I think we would lose a lot of trust and a lot of relationships with Absolutely. If we, if we go down that path. So we aspire to be an R1, mm-hmm. but I don't think anybody aspires to teach in a place where faculty teach one or two classes in front of a giant lecture hall, don't get to know their students, don't engage in that in that sort of way, or frankly do applied some of the applied research work that we do, or things like this radio show that it probably every other R1 institution, if you put it on your record, people would say, why are you wasting your time doing that? I think what's unique about Boise State and what's unique about our schools, we say, you know, this is amazing that you come out here every Thursday and let people know what's going on. Well, we will do work with Wilder, Weezer, right. <laughs> these small towns. These small towns that, that have research questions that we have expertise and can help and can really make an impact and, and questions that um, I think really directly impact the lives of people throughout Idaho. That's, I think, the value of what uh, Boise State can bring to the Treasure Valley and to the community. And as you ascend the, the, the rankings, as it were, can you retain that important critical mission that we perform in the state around education and, and, and engagement that in other institutions falls away as you pursue the, the, the research dollar and the, and the research objective. And, and to me, that is the core question. Um, and again, I, I wouldn't presume to give uh, President Trump any advice about that because you know, she's, she's been at institutions that have dealt with those questions and I think is, is certainly um, has a, has a breadth of, of knowledge and experience that I help, think will, will help her navigate those issues. Um, but that to me is the, is the leading question for Boise State. How do you continue to great gain national reputation around research and, 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 and bring in nationally competitive grants and hire high quality faculty from leading institutions around the country and not lose sight of the fundamental mission of educating Idahoans and serving the Treasure Valley as an anchor institution? Yeah, I think that makes, you know, definitely is a challenge that I think universities as they grow, the types of questions that there are. And I think one thing that's really great about the School of Public Service is that we have a mix of, we have people who could easily thrive at an R1, but we also have other people who are really excellent teachers who, who do research, but, you know, like also are doing a lot of maybe public service research. And it would, I think a lot of R1s don't have room for that flexibility and approach of, of faculty. Well, I, and going back to your first question about sort of advice, right? I mean, the, that to me is the is the hardest piece, right? It's it's messy and it's difficult, and I'm not saying we've done it right because it will continue need to be tweaked. But um, the problem that I've seen at every institution I've been involved in higher ed is that institutions are designed to do these multiple things, and then yet we have sort of one type of faculty member and say, go do all of it, and either that's immediately you lose sight. So we say at Berkeley, right? You're going to be great at education, right? You're going to be a great teaching school. They're not. They've, they've lost sight of what their teaching mission is. And so that's fine, right? But they, they just have simply allowed that to not be, at the undergraduate level, a key component of what the institution is anymore, right? At other places, you just burn out faculty because you say, do everything and be everything. I think what we've tried to do in our colleges is say, 
people are going to be good at different things and you're better off as an institution if you have that flexibility. Now, there are all sorts of challenges and there are reasons other institutions don't have that sort of flexibility in what a faculty member is, right? Which is, how do you compare public service research to peer-reviewed scholarship? How do you compare spending an hour a week doing a radio show to try to explain to the public what's going on in the world in a way that I think is informed by academic discourse? Don't do that. Instead, go write a, a peer-reviewed journal article. And I think for a... That five people are, will read. That maybe. It's usually a 16. Jackie, oh, right. gosh. Well, Sorry. Uh, 16 people read your work? I was going to say, you, you so outsparked I've been doing this mine. for 20 yeah, years, yeah, right. you guys. So, <laughs> so 16 know, people total? Goals. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say I've, I've not quite got to 16, but but so anyway, so, so trying to figure out how to have that balance and to respect all those different sorts of career paths is very very difficult. And again, I'm not suggesting we've gotten it right, but I think the idea of that sort of flexibility and that you want to embrace people's unique talents in a way rather than saying I know you're great at this, but stop doing it because we need to do this other thing is is I think what has gotten institutions in the wrong direction. Well, so and I'll say to kind of go along with some of your points like I feel like one of the biggest challenges in higher ed is basically everybody tries to do tries to be Harvard tries to be Yale um, that you know even and I've worked at smaller regional universities I've looked at worked at you know very small I was an adjunct at a, a place called the Mississippi University for Women who mm-hmm. actually admits men now and has for about 20 years but they stick with the name and it has 4,000 students and all of those institutions have something that they all want to be Harvard or they all think they're Yale and they're like look if we just take Harvard's model and we put it to work we're going to be Harvard one day. And that's just not the reality of it, right? Um, when you look at the constraints of places like Boise State, they're never going to operate in that way. And so one way... Nor should we. Right? Yeah, right. exactly. And I, I don't think that that's what we should be doing. Um, but what I really appreciate about a lot of people that are in school of public service and Boise State in general is that we're not trying to be Harvard. We're just trying to be Boise State. And we're just trying to do what we can do best in the Treasure Valley. And that's a really empowering thing for faculty because you're like, all right, let's just do the best we can here. Let's not try to be what anybody else is to everybody else. Uh, to everyone else. Well, I would argue the best we can be here is better than Harvard could be here, right? Mm-hmm. And oh, so no, I, I think agree. I think that's the that's the key piece is that you know we're not going to beat Harvard being Harvard, right? I mean, and this is the essence of the blue turf and the Boise State running the 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 uh, uh, Statue of Liberty play against Oklahoma <laughs> and all that, right? It's the you're not going to beat the top institutions being the top institutions. You're going to beat the top institutions by being great at what you can be. And I think again, Boise State will have a better impact in the Treasure Valley than a Harvard would if we are true to who Boise State is. If you try to beat Harvard at its own game, which means let's have the same classes they have, let's have the same curriculum they have, let's try to admit the same students they have, you're going to fall short because you've Focus set the... on exclusivity right. rather than inclusivity. Exactly. You will, have, you will have measured yourself by the wrong things and ultimately will fall short by those measures. Yeah, I agree. Well, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to be right back, um, so please join us here in a minute. This is Derek Smalls from Spinal Tap. Did you know that dozens of people spontaneously combust each year? It's just not reported in the mainstream media. For you in the Treasure Valley who can avoid that, you've got Radio Boise on 89.9 FM and 93.5 Downtown Community Radio for Boise and beyond. Welcome back to The Big Tent on Radio Boise. We're here with our special hour-long show with our one of the founding hosts, Corey Cook, who's sadly leaving uh, the Treasure Valley here soon. But, of course, 
politics in the Treasure Valley is getting pretty exciting right now <laughs> with a looks what like what may be a competitive mayoral race and a lot of challenges in terms of growth and and opportunities. Um, so Corey, you've been here for a few years. Kind of what's your your thoughts on where Boise is going or some of the challenges we may face or you know what's kind of in the future for the governance of Boise. And so, um, like a lot of people, I mean, one reason I was drawn to, to Boise State was because of Boise. Um, not just that, that it's a livable place and, a, um, and uh, has a lot of amenities that I think people enjoy and certainly not sitting in the Bay Area traffic like I was used to and being able to, you know, hike up in the foothills. And there's, there's so much to like about this community. But, um, but I was also drawn here because, you know, I'm an, I'm an urbanist by, by training. And so... I think we're at an interesting pivot point, and to me, the opportunity to start the School of Public Service at this time in this place's history um, was was a really unique opportunity because I think, you know, I, I, it would not surprise me ten years from now if we look back at Boise and say, "What a missed opportunity!" And now we've created another Phoenix. It also wouldn't surprise me if ten years from now we look back and said, "We learned from the mistakes of other metropolitan areas, and we've created a booming, sustainable, equitable." metro that is still a livable place that has figured out how to address challenges like affordable housing and transit and 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 workforce issues um and to me you're at that pivot point where frankly neither future would surprise me uh, obviously i prefer one to the other pretty strongly but um but it wouldn't surprise me if we couldn't get the region to sort of figure out how to collaborate on some pretty significant things that are needed in this region and Ten years from now, the 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 you know I, I think U-Haul's paying me to drive the U-Haul back to California because <laughs> they're just happy to have some of their equipment back in California because they're all coming here, right? Um, it wouldn't surprise me ten years ago from now if if people are going back to California saying what what happened. Um, I got in on the the next Houston or or Phoenix and the sprawl and the traffic and the affordability is the thing. The reasons I was drawn here are now gone. Um, it also wouldn't surprise me if we figured it out because I know there are a lot of really good people who are in unique places, um, you know, uh, in Middleton and Nampa and um, and Caldwell, who really see the potential for this metropolitan area. And it's not the city of Boise, right? It's the it's the it's the it's the, it's the Treasure Valley metropolitan area, as. Um, you know, so again, problem solving, right? Coming up with solutions for transit and housing and, and workforce that, that, could, that could make this place a growing, sustainable, and vibrant community. I mean, I, I think about the sort of public discourse around growth here quite a bit, and it feels like there's sort of two narratives that are forming, um, you know, when you watch social media or talk to people. One is we just need the government to stop the growth. Like, it has to slow down. This needs to stop. It's not good. And on the other end is uh, this has to happen. I need jobs. We have to have sort of an injection of economic growth. My kids are leaving. We need more housing. We need more housing. Uh, and so how do you um, how do you think about sort of intervening in that sort of discourse? Or I, and we can sort of see it in our mayoral race, too, right now with uh, Beter, the incumbent, I think, being framed, fairly or not, as a very pro-growth uh, pro-industry mayor, and then McLean coming up as challenger and saying, I, I really want to listen to people. Mm -hmm. I want to make sure that, you know, we have good processes in place, essentially slow things down a little bit. So it feels like those are sort of the lines along which things are being drawn. What are your thoughts about that? 
Well, I think, you know, and, and, and it's always obviously um, my frame of reference is having lived most of my life in the Bay Area. Um, I think the, the pro-anti-growth frame is the wrong one. Right. The pro anti growth frame, like the I mean, like pro versus like, like okay, okay. growth has either either for growth or anti growth. We're going to be deliberately confusing now. Sorry, yeah, no, I'm sorry, yeah. I'm, I'm, it all made sense in my head. This, I mean, if we could just change the format of this show so that we don't. Corey's have leaving to speak. on June twentieth. Everybody, <laughs> this whole spoken word thing is really problematic. Um, this is why I'm a former host. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, if you could see what's going on inside of my head, it would have been perfectly clear. No, but the, the, the notion of growth is either something you're for or against, I think is, 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 is not the right frame, particularly in this phase in the Treasure Valley. The question really is, what kind of growth do you want and where do you want it? It's really a geography question to me more than it is a question of, are you in favor of growth or, 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 or not in favor of growth? Growth is going to come. Change is going to happen. The question is, is can you do it in a way that promotes the type of community that you want to envision, um, I think the the fundamental problem to me in the in the Treasure Valley is that um, we are, and I think we saw this in other jurisdictions around the country. We've not embraced an urban future, meaning more density in downtown, more housing downtown, more walkable uh, city, more walk walkability in our communities uh, as a environmentally sustainable, economically sustainable uh, model. And so the challenge is, um, and we're just are, we're in the process of selling our house, and so I can um, folks still want to live in Eagle and Star rather than live in downtown Boise, and so some folks, right? I think I'm not sure about younger folks. I don't think so. Younger folks. I'm not folks, sure they can afford to live downtown. But, right, exactly. Yeah. And so when you look at where the growth is coming, right? And I was actually talking to somebody about this today, who's who's moving into Boise, and they said, you know, but I can get so much more for my money in Meridian or Nampa, which is true. I mean, you're going to spend a lot more in more time in your car and you're going to spend a lot more on, on transportation, right? Without, mm -hmm. without having affordable transit options. Um, there are other costs in addition to personal costs, there are social costs that, that result from that. And again, nothing against Nampa and, and Meridian other places. But, um, the question to me is how, how do you direct the growth in a way that's sustainable environmentally and economically? Um, the, the growth will happen because we're a community that has relative to other areas around the country um, a good job base and a, and a good water base and water is going to be the future obviously in terms of growth and the the uh, this area of idaho is relatively rich in water compared to some other areas in the country so we're also protected from some of the other environmental issues that will start especially hitting on the, the, on coast. the coast yeah and so again you can imagine growth happening um in my experience government stopping growth doesn't stop growth it just actually changes where growth happens it, it can it can distort patterns of growth in a way that oftentimes is is really problematic the barriers housing problem um, and i lived in san francisco and in oakland for a long time was not the fault of oakland and san francisco it was every other jurisdiction that refused to build housing for 20 years um, and so ultimately you have a demand that's pushed into cities and a problem that's being created but it's created because there's no regional approach to transit and housing and so you see some of that pattern being repeated, and again, I know the mayors are talking, and, the, and but to me, the question is, is how do you build housing in places like Nampa and Meridian that are designed to be transit friendly? Because the jobs are largely going to be not won't be exclusively, but will largely be in Boise. And how do you increase the density in Boise in an environment where that's not necessarily what folks want? So that's something voters could ask candidates, right? Is 
uh, you know, what are your plans for regional coordination? Right. Yeah. Because okay. the solutions are all around regional coordination, and they're all around promoting a increased density that is, again, consistent with what people want. You, you aren't going to you aren't going to build a more dense downtown if people don't want it, right? But how do you how do you balance the um, the costs of you know? My kids play basketball on Meridian, so I get to navigate Eagle Road <laughs> four or five times a week. Um, so that was not what it, I mean, Eagle Road's a relatively new phenomenon. And so how do you create places that people like to visit and shop and work and not spend 45 minutes trying to navigate the... I mean, don't get me started on the Trader Joe's parking lot, right? (laughs) Right. Oh, my goodness. That parking lot is always a mess. Yeah. Lordy, lordy. And so, you know, obviously, as as Boise grows up, does does the Trader Joe's need a parking lot, Mm -hmm. right? And And should it be a one-story building? Right. It should be a one-story building. And and why are we not building taller buildings that have retail and housing above them? And frankly, again, one of the questions for Boise State... um, the one thing I would say, and I and I and this is a terrible idea, so I will I will stand corrected by President. <laughs> I'll Trump. write it down and burn it. Go yeah. ahead. Um, academic buildings at Boise State from now on should have housing attached to them. Um, the, you know, I I do believe strongly that um, you you we will not meet the need of a growing campus building academic buildings that also don't have whether it's graduate student housing or faculty housing or student housing attached to them. There's just simply the the days of there's enough space and enough opportunity to grow. You can't build buildings affordable enough to be able to meet the growing needs of our housing for the campus community and the growing academic needs doing those things one at a time separately. Well, I think that's a new tagline for a show, The Big Tent, where you hear terrible ideas. Terrible like ideas. Build housing with your, <laughs> with your other buildings. <laughs> we are going to take a quick break here at The Big Tent. Um, we're going to take you out on Nathaniel Ratliff in the night. This is a song called A Little Honey, which I really like. They are playing July 25th at Outlaw Field. Have a listen. Oh, hey, Boise. It's Kaylin. And Greg. From Wheelchair Sports Camp. And you're listening to KRBX 89.9 FM. Caldwell, Boise. Shouts to representing community radio for representing little artists like us. You guys, that was Nathaniel Ratliff and the night sweats. I left off sweats because it's so hot in here. I didn't want to be reminded. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that song was a little honey. They're playing July 25th at Outlaw Field. You are listening to The Big Tent here on Radio Boise, 89.9 FM, Caldwell, Boise. And this is a farewell show for Corey Cook, who's one of the original co-hosts of this show. It used to be you, me, and Justin Vaughn. Yep. And we would sit around and talk to folks and uh, talk about politics, and we are still doing that <laughs> here on The Big Tent. Um, but and I'm wa- still providing <laughs> moments of radio silence, as I have. For <laughs> people are like, I smooth, don't even know what vocals, you're saying. That's, that's what right. You provide. That's right. So we wanted to just take a few minutes here at the end of the show, and um, you're going to hate this, Uh-oh. but we're going to tell you what we're going to miss about you and your oh, leadership. Oh, no. Yep, no. yep. So those of you who are driving home, please turn it up. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to make it get really sentimental <laughs> and awkward. Yeah, the goal is actually to make you cry during the segment. So <laughs> I've made Corey cry since he's come here, well, despite say, being I a cry, difficult I employee. I during all the sessions. <laughs> is that is that's different from... <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, Jackie, you want right. to tee us up? Yeah, well, I, you know, one thing that it's really, I've been very thankful for is that you, you came here and just immediately believed in all of us and the school. And I think, and, and like us as individuals as well, which for someone who is struggling to really kind of get going, struggling with imposter syndrome, just having, knowing that you always had my back and believed in me meant so much. Um, even when I was, you know, and I still doubt myself all the time, right? But I, it gave me confidence that I knew people believed in me and cared and wanted me to do well. <laughs> Also, just that you we've allowed the school to become so uh, much a part of our community, which I, as a state scholar, I wanted to be in a place where we were involved with the state government, with government in general, with other actors, and things like doing the Big Tent and this radio show. And so I just absolutely love that you've you've been so supportive and enthusiastic about those actions and have helped lead us in this direction. And I think that it's resulted in a place that I love to work. And so I'm very thankful for that thank you Corey just whispered thank you <laughs> uh try to follow that luke fowler jeez oh, god jack you just make it hard <sighs> all right so uh i have two things one i'll echo uh jackie's original sentiment there uh you know coming here and uh meeting with you regularly just to talk about my research and how things are going is super empowering for uh junior faculty and really faculty in general because universities are really like they socialize you into believing in these hierarchies like oh i'm not tenured or i'm a grad student so my voice doesn't matter um and so when you go sit down the dean's office and then you're like you talk about his dog for 20 minutes and then he's really interested <laughs> in, in like you talk about that and then he's really interested in like your research and he has all these questions and he really is interested it's very empowering hmm. because it takes away that idea that you don't matter as much as anybody else um and so it really like lifts you up and makes you think like all right well i do get to speak in these meetings um and so i think that's really really important for our growth and trajectory as a school is telling all of us that you know our ideas matter and the other thing that I really appreciate is your level of enthusiasm that you bring to the school because uh, I feel like uh, between you and Bob Custra, uh, Boise <laughs> State has a culture that is like nothing else because everybody's super excited and there's this like sense of urgency that goes with everything we do. Like it's not like, oh, we have this idea and we'll get to it eventually. It's like we have this idea and we're going to make it work now. Uh, and that doesn't exist in other places, right? Um, I've certainly – and so uh, – from one of my former institutions that was all like the, the stories you always heard about the president was like people would talk to him and go that's a great idea and then you would never hear from him again yeah. um, but that's just not how it is here and so it's kind of funny because I find myself watching what I say in front of uh, certain people because I'm like God if I bring this up then I'm gonna have to do it <laughs> right as opposed so um, but like I, I love that also about being here is because there is a sense of enthusiasm that we're going to do things and we're not just going to sit around and wait for something to happen um, and I think that's hu super important for how we grown and how we're going to continue to grow yeah. uh, oh man I have so many things I could pick but I just want to talk a little bit about your moral courage when I talk to people around campus about your leaving and I've said this to you before but I really have had people crying in front of me <laughs> about you leaving it has to do I think with the ways in which you've pushed us um, to think about those who maybe don't have a voice or are not represented, who are not sort of seen in the big push to make Boise State great. Um, so for example, uh, I think it is a, a privilege and a pleasure to work at Boise State, and yet there are students that we are not serving well. And in particular, I'm thinking of our students who are students of color and uh, maybe first generation students, maybe students who've served in the military and are, um, you know, 
dealing with issues from um, from their time in the military and the ways in which you have always foregrounded those experiences. So you've always asked us to make sure that we are thinking about creating amazing student learning experiences and also that we're always making space for people who are not necessarily in the room. So I really appreciate that. That's been really important. Um, and it has inspired me to do that better. It's not always something that I've thought of doing. Um, uh, but it makes me want to be better at those things. So I really appreciate that. And then the other thing I've really learned from you is if people like Luke or Jackie or me, we come to you with an idea, if it's a good idea and it supports creating those learning environments for students, you find a way to say yes. Uh, we maybe don't always know how we're going to do it. <laughs> we don't know where that money's right. coming from. Right. Um, but the answer is yes. Let's do this. Let's figure that out. And that is a, um, I don't know, man. That takes a lot of vision and it takes a lot of courage. And I'm so grateful to have learned from you. Well, it's, it's also a lot of selfishness because when I when I yes, was, I also was going to say you're really selfish because when I was when I was uh, th thinking about coming, so I accepted the job and I was talking to a friend of mine who um, had been a dean in the University of California system, and he's like, ah, oh, you signed on to be a dean. Being a dean is learning a thousand different ways of saying no. And I was like, I just that sounds awful. I can't do that. I can't live like that. I don't have no interest. Like, can I tell him I don't want the job? <laughs> I don't want to do that. Um, like, can't we try to figure out a thousand different ways of getting to yes rather than start with a thousand different ways of no? I mean, it's pretty easy in higher ed to get to no. Um, the, the institutions move really slowly. And they, I mean, there's always a good reason not to do something. But um, I don't know. I think we've got really great people here. Um, and, uh, you know, I think. Again, I'll give myself a little credit in that I think I'm good at recognizing talent. I mean, I, you are going to make me cry, Jackie, because um, I mean, we've got great people who do incredible work, and it's. I think it's pretty easy to see that, and I, you know, I know that there are colleagues who have impo I, mean, I still have imposter syndrome. It's it won't go away. It's endemic in higher ed, right? Um, but you you read people's work, or you know how they are with students, or you hear students talk about their faculty, and you're like, you belong here. You matter, right? And so, how do you? I think to me that you know, God, we have such incredible faculty all across the school, um, and so it's, I think, figuring out how to then empower folks to to do the things that they want to do, um, whether that's in the community or in their own research or in their teaching. And um, it's, it's, it's easier to say that's a great idea, but no, or it's a great idea, but do that great idea when you're tenured or do that great Hold idea when you're sale. full. Or, if you right. can fund it, you can do it. Right. Um, but, the, but we also have really, I mean, we do have generous donors. We do have a, we do have a generous community and we do have, I think, um, I think one of the great assets of Boise State is we have impact donors. We have people who if you can explain to them what, they can achieve by supporting some of these good ideas they want to jump in right we don't have donors who say i just want we don't have the harvard donors we don't have the donors who say i want to give the university a hundred million dollars because i've got it and i just want to have a name on, on a building um we don't have those donors we don't have legacy donors who want three and we generations. don't want them Wait. <laughs> well, we'll take them, but we don't have, you know, like I want three generations of my family to always be to coming. No, we have donors who say, we we see the impact that you have in this community. 
whether it's with students or with the research or with this community engagement you do. And I, I really am invested in those sort of impacts, whether it's for first gen students or for, um, or for, for veterans. And if I can help facilitate that, I'm in. And so we have a great opportunity to take chances because we have support from people in the community who want to invest in things that work and that make an impact. Well, I want to say that sounds a little bit like community radio. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, serving that similar function here, right? keeping us connected, a chance to feel like you belong and that you have a place to come and learn and be heard. I think that's really valuable. Well, I think on that note, we'll probably wrap things up. Thank you again, Corey Cook, so much for uh, being somebody who's just been great to work for and with. I, you don't work for me, but work with. I'll take you. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, thank you to th the three of you for taking this on, and and uh, and to Valerie, our esteemed producer. Um, I, I, you know, this was, as you said at the outset, sort of a, a crazy idea that um, that seemed like it could make sense and could work. And as with a lot of things, far exceeded any expectation we had because we have really skilled, talented people. Who, take the ball and run with it. So I'm really grateful for your willingness to do this every week, and I'm just so impressed by all the work you do. Well, you're always welcome to be a guest. So. <laughs> yeah, you can phone in That's and right. ask obnoxious Someday questions. Someday we'll learn how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> we did it once. We did it once. Yeah. 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 We did it once. There you go. <laughs> all right. Thanks so much for tuning in today to the Big Tent here on Radio Boise 89.9 FM, Caldwell Boise. Stay tuned for Ms. Wendy Fox playing some disco.